Hi, my name is Mike Assis, and I will read today's Bible reading in Brazilian Portuguese. Lucas, capítulo 6, versículos 37 a 42. Não julguem, e vocês não serão julgados. Não condenem, e não serão condenados. Perdoem, e serão perdoados. Deem, e lhes será dado. Uma boa medida, calcada, sacudida e transbordante, será dada a vocês. Pois a medida que usarem também será usada para medir vocês. Jesus fez também a seguinte comparação. Pode um cego guiar outro cego? Não cairão os dois no buraco? O discípulo não está acima do seu mestre, mas todo aquele que for bem preparado será como o seu mestre. Por que você repara no cisco que está no olho do seu irmão e não se dá conta da viga que está em seu próprio olho? Como você pode dizer ao seu irmão, Irmão, Deixe-me tirar o cisco do seu olho, se você mesmo não consegue ver a viga que está em seu próprio olho. Hipócrita, tire primeiro a viga do seu olho, e então você verá claramente para tirar o cisco do olho do seu irmão. Hey guys, my name's Devin. I'm one of the pastors here at Cross Culture. Um, it's my privilege to be able to um, share God's Word with you this morning. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, uh, keep them open to Luke chapter 6, um, and we'll be tracking through uh, this passage together. So how about we pray as we begin this morning? Father, please um, give us open and humble hearts uh, to receive your Word, um, to be humbled by it, um, and please change us through it. For the glory of your Son, Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen. In life, we're constantly making judgments. Um, as we interact with others around us, we're constantly evaluating their words and their actions so we can respond appropriately. Every day we need to interpret, we need to form opinions on everything so um, that we can make good decisions in this world we live in. Just for a moment, think about what's happening right now. As you listen to this sermon, you're judging what I'm saying, whether it's true, whether it's worth listening or not. You're, you're trying to work out if I'm crazy. Don't worry, I, I would do exactly the same thing. But you see, life requires us to evaluate the actions and, and the words of people around us in order to understand them. Jesus himself talks about the need to be discerning and shrewd in how we evaluate life in a broken and complex world. So in this passage that we read this morning, why does Jesus so strongly oppose judgment here? What makes this type of judgment different to the, the typical judgments we need to make every day? I think the reason that Jesus calls out judgmentalism here is that it's a sin that's so often hidden. It's so hard to spot. It's a sin that can be conducted under the guise of holiness or even fighting for what we perceive to be right. So today we're going to look at the type of judgment Jesus rejects. We're going to look at the problem of judgment 
the effects of judgment and the solution to judgment. The problem, the effects, and the solution to judgment. Right before our passage and in last week's sermon, Jesus calls us to love our enemies as a reflection of the love shown by us, by our Heavenly Father. Uh, Right before this passage in verse 36, Jesus says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Jesus demands that his, his followers mirror the heart of God himself, loving the sinner, welcoming in those on the margins. So the judgment that Jesus rejects here is the opposite of mercy and grace. It's the withholding of mercy. Look at how Jesus begins in verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. This is no ordinary judgment or evaluation. Now, do you see that Jesus puts judgment and condemnation together to reflect a spirit of criticism and condemnation of others? It's a judgment that arrogantly inserts ourselves as God, who is the only rightful judge. But let's not just leave it there. Let's look deeper into this problem of judgmentalism. What does judgmentalism look like in our world today? Firstly, judgmentalism is often revealed in someone with a critical and cynical heart. This is the person who rarely has anything good to say about anyone. It's the fault finder who always looks for the worst in others and never gives anyone the benefit of the doubt. It's the person who's so fixated on another's faults rather than thanking God for their strengths or for the unique way God has made them. I wonder if you ask your closest family or friends, would they describe you as quicker to encourage or quicker to criticize? Judgmentalism is also seen in someone who assumes the worst, who assumes negative motives in others. For example, if if someone's late to reply your text message, do you assume they're lazy? Do you assume they're avoiding you? But do you ever pause to consider that other circumstances might have led to this? Maybe they forgot. Maybe they were preoccupied and couldn't reply to your message. If someone comes across as a bit cold as as you talk to them, do you automatically assume they're unfriendly or that they've got something against us? But do we ever pause to consider maybe they had a tough week? Maybe they're just tired. Maybe they're shy or introverted in nature. Or when someone disagrees with us, do we conclude they're narrow-minded? They're deliberately trying to undermine our authority. But do we ever consider that maybe they just see the situation differently? Maybe they're just coming at it from a different angle we didn't see. You see, the judgmental person fills the gaps of their understanding with their own negative assumptions. Judgmentalism inserts ourselves as God, who is the only rightful judge of our heart and our motive. One more example of judgmentalism is when preferences become absolutes. This can be preferences over theological, moral, political issues. 
This is when things that aren't essential to Christian obedience are elevated to that place. For instance, if someone has different theological beliefs than you, can you still respect them? Or does it cloud everything about them? Can you still see this person as loved and and treasured in God's eyes, even if, in your opinion, they may get some things wrong? Uh, You even see this uh, taking place in our current day and age too. Perhaps judgmentalism features in our attitude towards vaccines, towards lockdowns. The person that disagrees with you, do you write them off as being crazy or being stupid or can you understand them? Can you seek to understand where they're coming from? Judgmentalism is what happens when preferences become absolutes. This issue is so serious that Jesus says God will repay on you the judgment that we extend to others. If we judge others, God will judge us. If we condemn others, God will condemn us. What you give is what you get, says Jesus. Judgmentalism reveals the state of our hearts. If you find yourself constantly judging others with a critical heart, maybe assuming the worst or making preferences absolutes, it reveals that you're not a true follower of Christ, that you haven't truly received the gospel of mercy and that God's judgment is coming. Jesus, in this passage, gives two negative commands, do not judge, do not condemn, followed by two positive commands, instead forgive and give. Forgiveness and generosity, they are the opposite of judgmentalism. It's the attitude of mercy that doesn't assume the worst, but actually believes the best about others. It's an attitude that learns to disagree without demonizing others. It's the attitude that imitates God himself, who judges kindly, who judges mercifully, who forgives our sins and is gracious towards us. The person who has received grace will dispense grace. Look at this beautiful picture of the exceeding generosity God will show us if we're generous towards others too. The picture we get of God's generosity is of a Slurpee machine at 7-Eleven. If you've been to 7-Eleven, a Slurpee just costs one dollar, regardless of how much Slurpee that you can get in the cup. This loophole presents me with an opportunity. So when I go to 7-Eleven, I always pick up uh, the empty cup. I start filling that cup with with, with my favorite frozen Coke. I bang the cup on the counter so the frozen Coke settles nicely. Then I fill the cup up with as much as I can. I get the lid. I use the lid to jam in even more. Then I take a sneaky sip and go and refill it again. That's God's generosity and grace towards us who are merciful in verse 38. It's a good measure of grain, generous, not stingy, pressed down, filling all the space in the container. 
shaken so the, the grain settles and fills the container even more. It's running over so it starts to stick up over the top. That's the measure of generosity God will show us if we deal with the problem of judgmentalism and are generous in our thoughts towards others. This is not works righteousness. This is simply someone who's received the gospel, who's been genuinely transformed, and now who experiences the deep blessing of fellowship with God, the blessing of, renew, of new and, and restored relationships with other believers too. Ultimately, this is what it comes down to. How you fundamentally view others, whether in judgment or generosity, reveals the state of a heart which is hardened against God or softened by His grace. So we've looked at the problem of judgment. But Jesus goes on now to look at the effects of judgmentalism. In verse 39, he, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Here I think Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. Um, just before Jesus' teaching here, he's, he's in confrontation with them. So now he's warning his disciples against following leaders like the Pharisees who lead out of self-righteousness and judgmentalism. In other places, Jesus calls these Pharisees blind guides. Here he says, those who are blind to their own faults and sin are in no position to lead anyone. If you're judgmental, if you can't see your own faults, how can you really help and teach others? All you will do is damage. If Jesus said before that what you give is, is what you get, here he says, who you follow is who you become. So firstly, beware of who you follow. If you follow someone who's judgmental, who has a critical heart themselves, then that's what you'll become. That's the effects of judgmentalism. It can happen in our friendship groups, our, our families, perhaps even in our churches, our life groups. You can't help but be influenced by those who are judgmental themselves. There have been some times in my life where I've, I've really felt the need to remove myself from certain conversations because what I've realized is what I'm hearing from others sometimes is starting to negatively impact my view of them. I wonder what sorts of people you look up to, what sorts of people you admire. But also, don't just beware of who you follow, but beware of who follows you. Who looks up to you? What influence are we having on the lives of those around us? Our lives are, are highly contagious. If we speak negatively of someone, we, we start to form in those people who follow us the, the, the same negative judgmental thoughts. No, people take these attitudes on and, and, and they take them to heart. So we need to, to recognize the effects of judgmentalism, not just in our hearts, but in the hearts of others. Judgmentalism does great damage to God's kingdom. It destroys relationships. It can undermine the unity of the church. 
as the leader of this church, I need to constantly repent of my critical heart, not just for my sake, but for your sake too. And I just want to say as well, um, for the people that we judge, it can strip away at someone's confidence. It can make people feel like they just can't do anything right. Um, I used to play a lot of uh, soccer when I was uh, growing up and I just remember I used to constantly criticise one of my teammates. Um, Every time he made a mistake, I'd shout at him, um, I'd point out what he did wrong. I'm just such a bad teammate, luckily. I actually apologised to him the other day as I remembered this. But what I realised was that it didn't make him perform any better. No, it actually made him worse because it chipped away at his confidence. Our, our, our criticisms often have the opposite effect. When I stripped away his confidence, I, I stripped away his ability. I want you to hear this. People don't change through judgmentalism. All it does is tear down. All it does is make people really feel like they don't want to be around you. All it does is lead both yourself and your followers into a deep pit, into destruction. But if following the wrong leader leads to destruction, then Jesus says following the right leader, Jesus leads to life and flourishing. Verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but when everyone, but when everyone is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. If we follow Jesus in his heart of, of mercy and forgiveness, we will be fully trained like him. Following Jesus doesn't just mean believing in him, but it means taking on his heart. It means imitating him in every way. So choose your teachers carefully. Choose leaders, choose disciples who follow Jesus' way of life, who model and and exemplify, exemplify forgiveness and grace, who are generous with their thoughts, with their assessments of others, who believe the best about others rather than simply assuming the worst. So we've looked at the problem of judgment, the effects of judgment. Well, what about the solution. And what Jesus will say is that the solution to judgmentalism is sober self-examination. Sober self-examination. In verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? It's a ridiculous image, isn't it? It's the, it's the dentist with bad teeth. It's the physio with a bad back. No, not really, but you kind of get what I mean. Jesus says, how can you help remove the sins of others when you can't even see the glaring log in your own eye. If Jesus said before that what you give is what you get and who you follow is who you become, here he says, what you don't see is what matters most. Those who judge others 
by definition, are blind to their own sin. I don't know if you realise, but often um, the sins and, and failures we judge in others can sometimes be the same sins and failures we struggle with ourselves. Uh, for example, I might judge others for how they use their money because maybe deep down I'm insecure about my financial position or how I use my money. I might judge others for how they dress because maybe I'm insecure about my own appearance. We often judge in others what is true of ourselves. You know, maybe as you're hearing this sermon on judgmentalism, about a person with a critical heart, about a person that might assume the worst, a person who elevates preferences to absolutes, maybe as you hear these things, man, someone just pops into your mind. Someone just pops into your mind that so perfectly fits this description. Maybe it's a description of them that fits so well, it's almost like their Myers-Briggs test. And if this has happened to you during this sermon, maybe you're the person Jesus is speaking about. I remember when I read this passage, that's what, exactly what happened to me. And I realized I completely missed the point of the passage. Jesus says the solution to judgmentalism isn't about other people. The solution to judgmentalism is sober self-examination before anything else. Author um, Jerry Bridges, he says this. He says, could it be that the log in our own eye is the log of judgmentalism, arrogating or assuming to ourselves the role of God? What if the log in our own eye is actually the sin of judgmentalism itself? A sin that's so great it assumes God's place and stands to incur the judgment of God. What if I am blind to my own judgmentalism? Jesus says in, in verse 42, You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to clearly to then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. There's, there's enough problems for me to deal with in my own heart before I start worrying about anyone else. So let's start now. Let's start now by confessing to God our, our sins of judgmentalism and finding in God the opposite. Finding in Christ this heart of forgiveness and generosity. Finding a Christ who, on the cross, who took on Himself God's rightful judgment for us. A Jesus who was condemned and, and judged in our place so that we can be the recipients of His mercy and forgiveness. And as you engage in sober self-evaluation and examination of your sin, as you receive the infinite mercy of Christ by His Spirit, our insecurity will be replaced by a humble confidence. Our, our, our jealousy will be replaced with contentment. Our self-righteousness will be replaced with a joyful embrace of Christ's righteousness. 
Friends, the, the only way to free yourself from the sin of judgmentalism is through the saving judgment on Christ on the cross. But what I want you to notice here is also what judgmentalism is not. Judgmentalism is not simply rebuking someone for their sin. We don't need to pretend another person's innocent when they're guilty. No, if someone's actions are against the Word of God, remember, it's God judging them by His Word, not us. The point of the passage isn't that we never take specks out of each other's eyes, but we deal with our log first. So, let me suggest now a a way of, of rebuke and correction that isn't judgmental, but is done out of a heart of mercy and in response to Christ's mercy for us. Because don't forget that sometimes we can be judgmental, not just with the issue itself, but with the manner of how we bring these things up. So if you believe that someone's behavior is out of line with God's Word, firstly, engage in self-examination. Ask yourself whether you see the same struggles in yourself. And if you do, confess your own sins first. Then have an individual, private conversation with them. And seek to understand their actions first. Hey man, I, I, I noticed um, you said something before and I just wanted to understand you know, how you're going, whether anything's up. Let's be quick to listen and slow to speak. Don't be quick to speak and, and slow to listen. Um, if after this, if there's still a need for correction then be specific about what you believe in their behavior is out of line with God's Word. Hey, as I, you know, as I reflect on what you said, I I wonder if that, if there was a better way to communicate that for these reasons. And lastly, assure them of your love. Share about your own failures where that's appropriate. Hey man, I really struggle with these things too. You know, I often say things that that come out of a place of hurt and and frustration and I really regret it after. But I just wanted to point them out to you so that we can grow in this together. Remember this. The one who rebukes best is the one who is most broken and humbled by their own sin. The one who rebukes best is the one most broken and humbled by their own sin. So in closing um, this morning, I I, want to tell you about my friend Edwin. Um, Edwin has a deep openness and awareness of his own struggles and sin. He doesn't indulge in gossip or negative talk. And because of that, I've noticed that everyone goes to Edwin for help. So many people share with him their own struggles because they know it's safe. They know that there's no room for judgment and condemnation. People are so willing to share their their sins with him in the confidence they'll find genuine empathy and real support. People don't need to tiptoe around Edwin. People can 
feel like they can just be their authentic selves because they're not led by a blind guide. But they're led by an individual who patterns himself after the character and heart of Christ. I'm so grateful to have a friend like Edmund. And I want to be that friend for others too. Someone once said this of the Christian life. They said, we are all mere beggars, telling other beggars where to find bread. Would we take this posture into every conversation, every thought, every relationship, so that we would be fully trained like our Master, the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to be a protector and a defender of reputation. Help us to delight in success. Help us to overlook fault. Help us to gladly celebrate virtue. Help us to be gentle in rebuke. Help us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Give us your heart, which responds not in judgment but in mercy towards others. Amen.